would you open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. When we decrease so that Christ may increase, his presence comes and fills our hearts. When we repent of self-centeredness, and any other thing that stands in your way when we humble ourselves we thank you Lord that you give grace and as we come to the word now your word we need help help to understand it help to teach it help to apply it Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't leave us without help. For you sent the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to not only be with us, but to be in us. Holy Spirit, have your way. Thank you, Lord, for being born again, for being sons and daughters of God, for being forgiven. And Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't have a relationship with you, they are not saved. They're not found. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And Lord, if there's one of us who we do know you, but we've been running from you. We came here reluctantly. But Lord, there's a divine appointment for them today as well. Thank you that your word will not return void. Use it in all of our lives, starting first and foremost with me, the preacher. And I give you the praise in advance for what you're going to do. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 15. And if you're visiting with us today, we're in a series that deals with I'd rather be anything but a Pharisee. I'd rather be anything but a Pharisee because when we read the Bible, we see the Pharisees were the ones who resisted Jesus often. They were the religious ones, the moral ones, the strict ones. In a sense, they were the churchgoers, but they were the ones that Jesus reserved his harshest words of rebuke for. And as I read through the Gospels and I watch these encounters between Jesus and the Pharisees, I see so much of myself, unfortunately, in them. And so the last thing I want to be is a Pharisee, so that means the first thing I need to do is repent. And I need to repent on a regular basis because, as I mentioned last week, this strand of self-righteousness still runs through my spiritual DNA, it's in my flesh. 
But again, thank God for the comforter because he brings these things to my conscience and my attention that I may repent and even crucify the flesh or as our worship leader would say on occasion to detox the flesh so that the spirit may live. So today the subject is I'd rather be the prodigal son than a Pharisee. I'm going to give you a familiar story today and it may have a couple of twists and turns you may not have ever been exposed to or made aware of. But today, I want us to think on the thought that if we've got to be anyone or anything from this parable today, let us be the prodigal son and not the older brother. And some of us may say, wow, when I think of the prodigal son, I think of somebody who went out and lived in a way that was contrary and ungodly and worldly and dangerously and and all of that. And so, Pastor Chris, you're trying to tell me that that's what I should aim for based on this parable? And I'm here to say yes. Because last week, as Brother Ron let me know, I fooled him with my title when I said I'd rather be sick than well. And he was about to change the station and turn me off, but he hung in there with me. And he saw that being sick as it pertains to the kingdom is a benefit because it's an admission of weakness and a need for the doctor. Because Jesus cannot help people who think that they are well. Uh, I guess the, 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 the sneaky thing about it is that none of us are well. All of us are sick and all of us need a doctor. But some of us, like the Pharisees, don't think we're that bad or that we need that much help. But by admitting that we are, as my elder prayed today, Lord, I am so unfaithful. That's when we experience our doctor's faithfulness. When we say, Lord, I have not been kind, and that's when we experience his kindness. And then the Bible says in Romans chapter 2 that don't you know it's his kindness that leads you to a life of repentance. And so, Dr. Jesus, work on me, heal me, fix me. And so there's a benefit in being sick. And the thing I love about the prodigal son, yeah, he went out there, but at least he came back. Yeah, he may have went out there, but he repented of his sin and he came back to his father. As we're going to see today, there's a contrast between him and his older brother, the one who was religious, the one who was moral, the one who was upright, was just as far from his father as the prodigal son was. Now, the prodigal son, as we'll see, he left his father's house. But the older brother stayed in the father's house and he was just as far away from his father even though he was closer to him by physical proximity. So sometimes you can be in the house of the father and be far away from him. And so today, if you see yourself in the text today, don't harden your heart, don't stiffen your neck, receive what the Lord has for you because He sent me today with a word in my mouth to give to you that may save your marriage. This word today may save some key relationships in your life. This word today may even save your life and cause you to be freed from legalism and performance-based acceptance. So I pray that your heart would be open today. When we look at Luke chapter 15, much attention is given to the prodigal son. Understandably so. 
as this passage has been preached for centuries, so much attention has been given to the prodigal to come home if you have gone out into the world. But also some attention has been given to the father in this parable. And if you've been around Strong Tower long enough, you know with our trips that we have taken to Israel, we do our best to read the scripture, not so much with a Western lens, but first and foremost with an Eastern lens that the Bible was written in another culture in another time period. So before we can bring adequate application to where we are, it would behoove us when we can to go back and understand the cultural ramifications of what was going on in the world then. So when we look at the Near Eastern world or look at this passage through the Near Eastern lens, we'll see something that we may just stop by for a moment today and look at, and that is the running father, that the father ran after his son, the prodigal, when he came back. So some attention has been given to the father, but I'm here to say that little attention has been given to the older brother. Little attention. So much attention has been given to the prodigal. Some attention has been given to the father, but little attention has been given to the older brother. And I'm here to let you know that mm, that may be the thing that we need to give great attention to today because he is the one that we don't see ourselves in. But I'm here to let you know that, yes, yes, we can and we should identify with him so that we might repent and be like the younger brother or the prodigal. You see, in chapter 14 of Luke's gospel, Jesus had been invited to a Pharisee's home. And as he ex received the invitation, he went there. And, and as he sat amongst the Pharisees, and there were some other people who were present, there was a man there who had what the Bible calls dropsy. He had a physical ailment. And it was the Sabbath day. It was Saturday. And so the Jews who were hostile towards Christ were looking at him, wondering if he was going to heal the man. And Jesus, being the son of God, uh, the Sabbath was made for him. He wasn't made for the Sabbath. He's free. He says, my father's always working and so am I. And you have misinterpreted what taking a break on the Sabbath is all about because if one of your donkeys fell in a ditch, you'll get him out. Is not this man who's made in the image of God worth more than a donkey? So Jesus healed the man of dropsy. And the Pharisees were upset. They missed the miracle because they were so steep in religion and tradition. They missed the life that had been touched and changed by God. And as Jesus sat there in the midst of a crowd, they were split. Some of them loved him. Some of them hated him. And he began to give some parables about a great supper and a great banquet and how this man had sent out an invitation, and the guests who were invited chose not to come to the banquet. And so the man said, well, go out and invite the blind and the lame and the maimed. Invite them to come in and enjoy my great supper. And in that parable, Jesus says that a man went out and said, Lord, there's still more room at the banquet. And so Jesus says, go out into the highways and the hedges and the lanes and compel them to come into my house that my house may be full. And as he tells that story about the banquet, he's really setting the stage for the next set of parables he's about to tell. Because the Pharisees understood what Jesus was saying, that they were the ones invited to this feast with God, but they chose not to come. So God went out and got the prostitutes and uh, the tax collectors and the sinners, and they came to the banquet. 
And then God says, go out even to the highways and the hedges, maybe even speaking of Gentiles, and bring them in so that there may be a house full of people celebrating my goodness. And so the Pharisees were infuriated at Jesus because this young upstart of a preacher came and flipped their worlds upside down and he allowed the people to hear the truth and begin to question what they had been hearing for so many years. But the sinners loved this man because they were being invited in when before they were stiff-armed and told to stay away. So we come to chapter 15, look at verse 1 through 3. It says, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, so they're hot. Because Jesus is kicking it with sinful people, which is what, as we saw last week, doctors do. Doctors make house calls. Doctors go in the community and they help sick people. The Pharisees were supposed to help the sick people. They were the ones who had God's word. They had the truth, but they alienated themselves and distanced themselves from the people because they had this air of self-righteous superiority and they did not want to dirty their little fingers amongst the sinful people. But Jesus embraced and invited to the table these people that the Pharisees put down. And so Jesus, knowing how the Pharisees feel, says, let me give you another word since you didn't listen to the other word I gave in chapter 14 about the Great Supper, this time I'm going to give you three stories, three parables, and each one is going to build on the other because I love you too much to let you die without hearing the truth. I love you too much to not tell you what you need to hear, even if it's not what you want to hear. Therefore, let he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says, I'm going to give you three parables. And a parable is a simple story with a central meaning. It's a simple story with a central meaning. So he's going to give three parables. And they all are really going to have the same central meaning. There's going to be a pattern in each one. Each one will speak of something that was lost, something that was looked for, something that was found, and once it was found, there was great rejoicing. So we're going to give him three parables. The first one is going to talk about sheep. A shepherd has a hundred sheep. One of them becomes lost. The shepherd leaves the 99 to go and find the one, and when he finds the one, he rejoices that he found the sheep that was lost. And in that parable, the shepherd represents God. And for the Pharisees, that was another one of those kinds of jobs that was beneath them. That's what common people did. That's what poor people did. And so already I could see them stiffening up if they were trying to uh, uh, correlate how this story, this illustration was to affect their lives. And so now they're saying that God is likened unto a shepherd. Well, once again, Pharisees, watch yourself. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And the 99 happened to be the Pharisees. 
the ones in the sheep pen, the ones in the house, the ones who stayed put, the ones who are supposedly close to God. And then the one who goes away represents the sinners, the outcasts, uh, the harlots, as I mentioned, those people in society who have less than stellar reputations. But the Lord leaves the 99 and he goes after the one and he rejoices. Then he says, uh, my second point, if he was given a sermon that day, the first point was about the shepherd. The second one was about a woman who had 10 coins. And she lost one of the coins and she swept the house thoroughly to find the coin. And when she found the coin, she rejoiced. And she called her neighbors and said, rejoice with me because what was lost has now been found. Have you ever lost your car keys and had to sweep the house? Uh, brothers, have you ever lost the remote control and had to tap the living room? And then when you find it, you're like, oh, bless God. Thank you, Jesus. But don't lose no piece of money now. I thought I had five out. Let me go and check some pants that I wore. And you go in, oh, thank you, Jesus. Nothing like finding some money. And so the woman is a picture and a representation. Watch this, Pharisees, of God. Whoa. Some people say, well, soften it a little bit and make it about the Holy Spirit. Say the woman is the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is God too. But this woman represents God. The nine coins that weren't lost represents the Pharisees. The one that was lost represents the sinners. Then Jesus says, okay, so y'all still not getting it. I got to hit you with one more point number three in my sermon. I got to tell you the parable of the lost son. We went through the lost sheep, the lost coin, now the lost son. And the father in the story represents God. And the prodigal son in the story represents the sinners. Jewish people who knew what to do but didn't do it. They chose to live in a way that was outside of the will of God. But then the last character in that parable is the older brother, and he represents the Pharisees. So go with me as we walk through this text. Verse 11 of chapter 15 of Luke, the parable of the lost son the parable of the running father, the parable of the older brother. Let's look at it. It says, then he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now this is a story, a simple story with a central meaning. When interpreting parables, we want to be careful not to push too hard to try to make it fit within our box of systematic theology. So we want to walk away with a central meaning, not so much trying to make every part coincide with our theology or even the culture of the day. Because with the culture of the day, no son in his right mind would walk up to his father while the father was alive and ask for his inheritance. That's just like one of your children coming up to you saying, I know I'm in the will. Can I have my slice now? You'll be like, that is so disrespectful. Because what the boy is saying is, Father, I'd rather have the stuff that's in your hand rather than having you. 
I'd rather have what you can give me rather than be with you. In other words, I wish you were dead because the only way I'm supposed to get my inheritance is when you die. But since you're not die, I want my inheritance, so I wish you were dead because I really don't want to be with you. I want to get what I can get from you so that I can go and live my life the way I want to live it. And so as the Pharisees would have been listening to this story from Jesus, they would have said this is unheard of in our day because no son would be so disrespectful to his father as to ask for the inheritance while the father was living. And if this word got out into the community, that son could be stoned by the community for being disrespectful to his father. And so Jesus is just setting the table. He's setting it up. So when he's asking for his portion, he's the younger son. Then there's the older son. The older son, according to Levitical law, was to get a double portion. So the younger son was to get a single portion. So if the inheritance was divided between two sons, the older son got two-thirds and the younger son got one-third. And so what was greater, a greater surprise to the Pharisees that the son would even ask the father for a third of his inheritance? What was even a greater surprise in this story was that the father turned around and gave it to him. Because again, in that culture, the father could have said, you have disrespected me and the law says that you should die. But he did not do that. The father gave, and the Bible says he gave them his livelihood. And it comes from a word speaking of he gave his life to them. Because more than likely, his life was wrapped up in real estate, and owning property, and owning cattle. Again, this is an agrarian culture. And so to give the inheritance to his son is to give his very life to his son, and he gives to him. And then the Bible says, and not many days after. Why not many days after? Because Paul Revere, I believe, he went out to sell that real estate so he could get the money from it. So he had to have a couple of days to list the property, show the property, and sell the property. And once he got his cash, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, going into the world, if you will, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. The word prodigal means to live recklessly, to live extravagantly. Listen to this, to spend until nothing is left. That's what it means to be prodigal. To spend your resources and your money until there's nothing left. In other words, you're reckless. You're not wise. You got $100, you go to Las Vegas and you spend $100. You haven't thought about bus fare back. You haven't thought about anything else. You got money and you are going to use it, but you're using it in a way that is reckless and extravagant and dangerous. You have nothing. And so the Bible says that when he spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, speaking of a Gentile, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. All the Pharisees said, oh man, this story is getting worse and worse. You know we don't like pigs around here, but that's how low sin will take you. 
that, uh, as it has been said, that when you sin, you can pick your sin, but you can't pick the consequences. Sin will take you further than you want it to go. And here he is in a far off country with Gentiles, and he is with swine. But not only is he with swine, the Bible says in verse 16, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. In other words, pigs are eating better than I am. I wish I had saved some money. I wish I had listened to Dave Ramsey or somebody. I'm broke. Working with these pigs, man, they're eating better than I am. But that's why it says in verse 17, but when he came to himself. In other words, he came to his senses. He hit the bottom. And sometimes for us to know that God is the rock, we need to hit the bottom and find out that God is the rock at the bottom. And so that's why when we have relatives who go out there, sometimes, again, you got to pray. You need to let them go so that the world can rain fire, hell, and brimstone on them, break them down so that they can come back to God. If you have a son or a daughter who is older, a teenager, and they just want to keep going out into the world and they don't want to listen to you as you warn them and as you say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, sometimes you have to let them go so that they can experience what they just thought they had to have. And so a lot of times it's, Lord, I pray that you would break them, but Lord, please don't take them. Lord, I pray, Lord, that as they're out there, I know for them to learn their lesson, some of them are going to have to realize that the devil's breath does smell like sulfur and brimstone. Lord, have mercy on my child. Have mercy on my husband. Have mercy on my wife. Lord, break them, but don't take them. This man was broken while he was out there. He came to himself. He came to his senses. And if you're out there right now, you know better. You know the word of God. You were trained up in the word of God. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart far from it. You've departed from truth. You know the way that you're living not only hurts your parents' heart, but above all, it hurts your heavenly father's heart. And if you can hear today, that's hope. That your spirit has not been so uh, hardened over with sin and this deceitfulness. That you hear God saying, you know I have more for you. I have something better for you. Come out from among them and be separate from the world. And if you hear that voice, come back, come back. Because this young man, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven, which is a euphemism for saying I've sinned against God. And I've sinned before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. In other words, I'll be a slave. I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. So he arose, verse 20, and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, implying that the father was looking for him. Like a mother who would stand on the porch after the street lights come on, where is Harold? Where is Chris? Where is Wayne? She's out looking for them because she know that trouble can start right after midnight out there in them streets. So I'm looking for you from the front porch. Sometime mama will go up into the party house and drag you up out of there. Don't play, don't play. And so while he was away off, his father saw him and had compassion, not judgment but compassion. 
Love for his son covered the multitude of the son's sins. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So once again in that culture, we see an older man running, which is really not supposed to happen because older men are supposed to be more sophisticated than that. Because in order to run in that culture, because the men wore long robes, they would have to lift up the robe, exposing their legs, and run. And no father would expose his legs like that unless he had a radical love for his son. Oh my, I need to read to you something uh, that Tim Keller writes in his book, Prodigal God. Now remember, the word prodigal means reckless. And God is reckless in his love. Tim Keller writes, the father's welcome to the son, to the repentant son, was literally reckless because he refused to reckon or count his son's sins against him or demand payment. God's reckless grace is our greatest hope. So the father runs to his son, willing to be disgraced in order that the son may be embraced. He runs to the son just in case somebody else from the town saw the boy coming back and they wanted to uh, uh, instill judgment and discipline and maybe stone him for being disrespectful. The father ran out to him to stop that from happening because this was a big social thing in the whole community. Everybody knew that boy had left, but the father went. He ran to him and it says in verse 21, and the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. And so the evidence of his repentance was the fact that he confessed what he had done. A lot of times we want to try to have reconciliation with God, but we haven't confessed to God what we've done. Or we want to have reconciliation with someone we've harmed, but we don't want to confess where we have sinned. Can there truly be reconciliation without confession? But nevertheless, watch the father. It's as if he cuts the boy's words off midstream. Because again, grace is superabounding from this prodigal father who is reckless with mercy. And he says to his son in verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. So in the middle of his confession, he was flooded with grace. And he was flooded with such a reckless kind of grace. He said, um, somebody, go, go get the best robe. And the best robe would have been the father's robe. So put my robe on him. Implying once again and making a strong statement that although my boy wants to come back as a servant, I have received him back as my son. Because while he was out there, he never stopped being my son, even though he was living with pigs. And although he's coming back lowly and humble, which again is a sign of his repentance, the father says, this is the time to rejoice. Get the best robe, get the ring. In other words, get the family ring, the signet ring. Give him his authority back. Go get some sandals because slaves walked around barefoot. The son came home barefoot like a slave. He had nothing. Daddy said, put something on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. What's the fatted calf? Oh, it was something that was being fatted up for a celebration. 
There was a celebration looming. What was the celebration? Well, there was an older brother, and that fatty calf could have been the calf that was going to be killed at his uh, uh, marriage feast. So that thing may have been sitting out in the yard while the older brother was about to get married to his girl, his woman. Or that fatted calf may have been set aside by the father to prepare in advance for when his son came home. We don't know for sure, but the fatted calf, it don't end up too good for him in this story. He has to give himself. (laughs) So the father's exclaiming. Now, Jesus could have ended the story right here. Because it followed the pattern. Something was lost, it was found, and there was rejoicing. He could have ended the story right here. But he kept going because he knew the Pharisees needed more direct information. They needed a more specific word aimed at where they lived. And because God loved them, He gave them the word. He faithful of the wounds of a great savior. So Jesus carries the story on. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. Stop. The older son is in the field and there's a party happening at home. In a village like this, word travels quickly. But he's so busy working that he doesn't have time to celebrate. And it may be that he doesn't want to celebrate. Stay with me. He's in the field. And again, Jesus is using this word picture to say that his identity is wrapped up in what he does. His identity is bound to his work. He is working in the field. And for the Pharisees, that's where their identity came from, working for the Lord and not having a relationship with the Lord. How many people do you know come to church every time the doors open? But when you start looking for, is there evidence of God's love in their life? But no, they know all the scriptures. Is there evidence of God's joy in their life? No, they know all the hymns. They know all of churchology, but man, is the love of God in your heart, not only for him, for your neighbor, but also for the least of these. Because if God is working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure, you're going to love some poor people. You're going to love some sinful people. You're going to have mercy on folks because you know God always has mercy on you. But if you're so busy working in the field, working in the field, working in the field, You can't spend enough time with the father for him to massage your heart. So the son is in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. Now y'all know if y'all heard some music and dancing and your heart was right, you're going to run into the house to enjoy the music and the dancing and the food. But because your heart isn't right, you're going to stay in the field and ask somebody else what's going on in there. And the Bible says in verse 26, so he called one of the servants and asked him (coughs) what these things mean. Brother, you know what these things mean. Why else would the father be partying right now? Again, it ain't your wedding day. 
It must be the fatted calf prepared for your brother's return. Because if you were being the older brother that you were supposed to be, you should have been acting like the mediator between the father and the prodigal son. Meaning that you should have been looking for the son or your brother just like the father was looking for him so that you could go out and find him and be a mediator between the two. That's what older brothers are supposed to do in that culture. But because he was selfish, because his heart was hard, rather than being a minister of reconciliation, he sat back with great agitation. And it says in verse 27, and he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. In other words, there's a celebration going on. Your brother's back. But in verse 28, but he was angry and he would not go in. What was he angry about? Everybody else is celebrating. What are you angry about? He may be angry with his father. That his father had the audacity to receive the son back. Or that he didn't make him grovel. Didn't make him beg. He just received him back. Or maybe he was mad at the brother for going out anyway because now that he's back, the inheritance might have to be split up some more. <laughs> Meaning that my two-thirds may have to go back into the pot and because daddy's so lavish now, giving the boy a robe, a ring, and say, he probably going to take some of my money that was designated to me that I'm really only supposed to get when my daddy dies. But I got it now because he gave it to both of us and I don't want to give it back. So I'm angry because now I got to give up some money. Whatever the case, he's angry. And when we're angry, we cannot enjoy the Lord unless the anger is righteous, Ephesians 4. But James tells us when we are angry in an unrighteous way, we cannot enjoy fellowship with God because anger is self-centered. It's me-centered. So he was angry and he said, I'm not going in. Now he's creating a dilemma. He's creating drama in the community once again because you thought the father was embarrassed when the younger son went out. Now the father is embarrassed when the older son won't come in. Everybody partying inside, you know. They part, Marvin Gaye is playing. Everything, they having a good time. Everybody looking around. Where the older brother at? I don't know. He out in the field. Where the older brother at? Uh, uh, servant so-and-so talked to him, and he said he ain't coming in. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, there's some drama up in here now. Uh-oh. Speculation, embarrassment. So the father has to leave the party and go outside. And the Bible says, plead with his son. The one who know better. The one who should do better. He has to come out and plead with him. The father humbles himself. When he could have said, once again, I'm going to kill you or have the community stone you for being disrespectful to me up in here. But no, the father humbles himself and comes out and pleads with this son. You see, everybody's humble in this story except the older brother. The younger son humbles himself. 
the father even humbles himself, we still wait and wonder, will the older brother humble himself? But when you're angry, you feel entitled to be mad. So the father came out and, and he's pleading, begging with him. So he answered and he said to his father, lo, these many years, stop and pause right there. You're going to talk back to your father and say, lo, these many years? That's disrespectful in an Eastern culture not to give your father a title when addressing him. He should have said, father, these many years. You know, before he gives that raggedy complaint he has, he should have said, Father, I, I beseech thee. Father, I, 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 I respect you. He just jumps in and says, Lo. In other words, he doesn't respect his father. Who's the furthest from the father? We keep thinking that it's the prodigal son. At least he came back. At least he knew who to go to. At least he knew how to address his dad, his father. But this boy, Lo. These many years I've been serving you. That's the problem. You're trying to relate to me on the basis of a slave. All I wanted you to do was be a son. Nobody told you to keep serving, serving, serving because you really weren't serving me. You were really serving yourself and what you could get as a result of serving to make your inheritance bigger. Because if you were really serving me, serving the Father, you would have come in without having to be asked. And if you were really serving me, and if it was about me, you surely would have come in after I asked you to come in. But because you're not really serving me, you're serving yourself, you're going to stay right where you are. So the Father's saying, this, you're making this about you. If you can't say amen right now, just say ouch. <laughs> this will help your marriage if you can get this or so any relationship. This is not about you right now. Stop making everything about you. This is about your brother who's come back. This is about the father who showed great grace to him. You should be inside celebrating, but you're outside pouting. And he says to him, I've been serving you and I never transgress your commandment at any time. Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> but see, when you're religious and self-righteous, your judgment is skewed. You make yourself look better than what you really are and you make other people look worse than what they are. You got to lift yourself up by putting other people down. And you use superlatives. I never, I always. No, you don't. Self-righteous, I never transgress your command. Well, guess what? If you never did it, then you're doing it now. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Oh, that is, that is. Because I really envy what the younger brother did because he got his money and went away from you and celebrated and acted a fool in the world. And what I really want is to have a go to a celebration with my friends, but the daddy ain't invited. I want to do my thing without you. 
just like my younger brother did his thing without you. The only thing is he had enough sense to repent and come back to you. And here I am standing outside the house with my arms crossed thinking that I got a point to this argument. No, man. But as soon as this son of yours can, he can't even say his brother's name. As soon as this son of yours. You know you're in bad shape when you can't say folk name. You know you're in bad shape when you don't want to look at people that you don't like. You, you, you done gone too far. You know you're in bad shape when you don't want to hear that name mentioned out of the mouths of other people. You're in bad shape when you see a bunch of people liking them on Facebook and you're like, mm, I ain't liking nothing about that. Keep on scrolling. You're in bad shape. This son of yours. And watch this. Jerry pointed this out to me last week. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatty cat. Jerry said, now, pastor, ain't no way in the story where it said the brother was hooking up with harlots. I almost said something that rhymed with moles, but I didn't say it. Rhymed with moles, but I ain't going to say it. He was hooking up with harlots. Nowhere in the story. He was living recklessly. He may have been a gambler for all we know and lost all his money. So how did he know his younger brother was out there with harlots? So at least he judged him that way. He judged him that way because a lot of times we judge people based off the stuff that's in our heart. <laughs> Woo! Because if I went out there anyway, uh, he, he may have been judged. Watch the father's response as we close. And he said to him, son, stop right there. Not only did the father show this tremendous amount of grace to his younger son, who was rebellious, but he shows the same kind of grace to his older son, who was also rebellious. And although this older son could not call the father with a respectful title, the father did not return evil for evil, and his grace superbounded over his older son's sin, and he called him son. He could have called him enemy. He could have called him disinherited. He could have called him a fool, but he called him a term of dignity, still a term of ownership. Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Jesus ends the story on a cliffhanger. He probably finished preaching, just shut the book and just walked off the stage. Because the Pharisees and all the listeners are wondering, what happened? Did he go into the house? Or did he stay outside? And Jesus wanted those Pharisees to put themselves in the shoes of the older brother and to see themselves as standing outside of fellowship with the Father and embracing sinners who have repented at the feast of God. Will you go in or will you stay out?
The conclusion is up to you. You can write in the conclusion. The Pharisees were left with a choice. Will they stay outside or will they come inside? Will they stay angry or will they be merry? Will they stay estranged from the father or be close to him? Will they find identity in their works or will they find their identity in simply being a son? But don't worry about the Pharisees. They're dead and gone. What about you? What will you do? Will you repent and come on in to a father who lavishes you with mercy and kindness and love and grace? Or will you rebel and stay outside with your arms crossed? Both brothers represented different ways we can be alienated from God. One was an immoral sinner. The other was a moral sinner. And it was his morality that kept him from God. What he did, the I's he dotted and the T's he crossed, his religious performance, Pharisees, that's what keeps you from God. Because in your mind, you think that you're better than God. How do I know that? Because you think you're better than God's son, Jesus. You thought he was unrighteous. No, you're unrighteous. Both brothers were wrong yet both still experienced the father's love. One responded to the love. And as far as we can tell, the other one did not. But maybe he did. For all that we can be in life, I pray that we would not be a Pharisee, that we would not be the older brother, that we would repent, that we would be the younger brother. So think about places in your life where you're estranged from God, where you're estranged from God's people, where you're not celebrating and rejoicing in the Lord. You're frowning. You're angry. You're upset. You feel like you've got rights. Oh, the Holy Spirit knows how to zero in on all of us. And I encourage you, just let it go. Let it go. You see, I've been both brothers. I've been prodigal. And even if I don't leave God every day with my feet, many times, if not every day, I leave him with my heart. And I go away. But he still compels me and bids me to come. And it's his mercy that transformed me, not a law. He knows that I'm prone to wander, but he still calls me by my name. So I've been the prodigal. I'll be him again. I've been the older brother. That's the worst. Where you argue with God and you think that you have a right to hold to your grudge, to hold to your judgment, to hold to your opinion that doesn't lead to reconciliation. It leads to further and further distance. But one thing I know about God, he ain't going to make you do anything. He gives you a choice. And for the older brother to come inside with the father and with his brother, he would have to humble himself.
hard part about being the older brother, whether I'm fighting with my wife or I'm at odds with my children, is that, man, I'm holding on, I'm mad, and I'm angry over here, just pent up. And my wife and my children just go on with life. They skipping through the flowers and... And the Lord comes out and he says, son, come on inside. Would you stand to your feet with me? I never want to be the older brother again because it's dangerous. To be the older brother is to be a Pharisee. To be a Pharisee is to be an enemy of Jesus. But there were Pharisees that repented in the scripture. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, there were some Pharisees. And Chris Williamson's name has been added to that lot of religious people who repented and still repents. With every head bowed and with every eye closed right now, would you say, Pastor, God spoke to me today about my condition. And he convicted me of the fact that I'm the prodigal son. But you know what? I'm ready to come home. To him. To him. Would you raise your hand? So I can pray for you. But as we said at the beginning of this message... We were going to zero in on the older brother who's often forgotten in this story. And it's easy to be him because he was cloaked in religiosity. It's easy to be him and not know it. But today God spoke. You've been the older brother or the older sister. You've been angry. You've been distant from the father. You've been self-righteous. You've been pointing at everybody else's stuff, but you haven't been pointing at your own. And if you would say, Pastor, would you pray for me by extending my hand right now? It's the first steps of my repentance before God. Father, would you pray? Pastor Chris, would you pray for me? Amen. Father God, we extend our hands, but above all, we extend our hearts. Forgive us for being obstinate, rebellious and stubborn, self-centered, and everything else. We want to be in the house with you. We want to be at the supper with you and all that you have called and redeemed. Yes, Lord. And may Strong Tower Bible Church be like that hall that the festival the supper was held in that you are here and you are calling Christians and people to become Christians to come into your house and enjoy your favor may this house be a house of reconciliation a house of celebration a house of joy and never a house of drudgery rule keeping laws for where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty and freedom. 
Thank you, Lord. May we be free enough to repent every day throughout the day, knowing that you love us, knowing that you found us, knowing that you've clothed us, you've given us everything we need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Atarius, it's going to close us in prayer. I want to thank God. Atarius serves with our men's ministry. The men have been doing a lot of things for Jesus and for this church. And I won't go down that list. It's time to let you go. But I'm thankful for them. They even came out the last couple weeks. Maybe some sisters came with them too and helped beautify the church. We're working towards Easter with some things we're doing, with cleaning bushes, trimming, getting ready, because you're going to invite friends to come to church with you on Resurrection Sunday. Amen? going to invite some friends. So I want to thank the men. Atarius, I love you, man. Come pray for us.